Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. First Blair and Barker pod of 2022 and Kevin Barker. It's still okay to wish people a happy new year, right? I mean, you're, you're not one of those people who says enough after the first week of January, are you? No, I'm a very happy person. You can say what you want when you want, Jeff. <laughs> so there's no timeline, right? It's not like there's no certain date after which you just can't say, hey, it's not happy new year. See, I usually operate... If it's somebody I know really well, I wish him a happy new year the first time I, I, I see them or the first time I talk to them. Now, it's, and it doesn't matter when. It, well, I mean, I'm not going to do it in May, but in the month of January, if I see you for the first time, I'm going to say happy new year. So you're going to walk up to a player in spring training and say March and go, hey, happy new year to you. What do you uh, think they're going to say to you? They're going to flip you on top of the forehead and laugh at you and tell you to beat it. That's probably what they're going to say. Well, I'll tell you what, based, <laughs> based on the news today, if I'm getting a chance to talk to any player, <laughs> any major league player on March. I'm very optimistic. Good. Yeah, I know you are. I am too. And, uh, hey, whatever, whatever your take is out there, here's to a better 2022. For all of us. Now, I wish I could tell you that a great deal has changed since we last spoke in 2021, as far as the collective bargaining agreement goes. But, uh, well, the fact is players like Alec Manoa, who will join us in a few minutes, well, they're still locked out. And just a few hours before we did this, owners and players held a virtual Zoom meeting in which a virtual offer was made by owners to what we were led to believe was a virtual shrug from the Major League Baseball's player, Major League Baseball Players Association. This was the first bargaining session, if you can call it that, in 43 days. Free agency and revenue sharing wasn't mentioned by the owners. A new competitive balance tax that was floated or a new competitive balance tax level, to be more precise, won't be enough for the players. And so here we are where we usually are in these things, right? Neither side has shown the other what it really wants. And until that happens, the hard math that is usually required to get this stuff done, well, I mean, you just you can't start that. You can't start that math. So now we await for a proposal from the Players Association. Kevin, bottom line, how confident are you that we'll see pitchers and catchers report on time in about a month? Because it's around February 14th where guys are going to start reporting. Yeah, I'm not sure I feel very confident about that. that. That's, you know, let's just be honest. It's probably not going to get real serious where they're pulling overnighters till about February the 1st, right? That's about when you're you're thinking, you know, we, we have to get this deadline done by at least March the 1st. You got to get back and forth. You got to pull some all-nighters. You got to figure out what one side wants. The other side's going to give. The other side's going to do a little give and take those kind of things. So to say it's around February 14th or 15th, I, I don't know about you, but I just think that's – you know, it's a little bit too optimistic for me, but I will say I think they're not going to miss too many games in spring training. 
And I think that's the ultimate goal is, you know, somewhere around that first week of March, that's when you're, for me, going to, it'll be all systems go and, and guys are going to go where they ultimately want to go and, and start revving this thing up, getting ready for, for the regular season. But, you know, the 14th of February, do you really see that? I don't. Yeah. I mean, here's the, here's the, the thing that I think people need to keep an eye on here when it comes to, when it, when it comes to this, we have mentioned, and I'm sure baseball fans know that players don't get their first paycheck until the second Thursday of the regular season. Now they get money during spring training and get a daily stipend during spring training, but your first paycheck doesn't come in until let's say for argument's sake, the second week of the second week of April. And what happens is you get to a point, Kevin, as you get closer to March 1st, where now there is a bit of a financial hit to ownership because if Grapefruit League or Cactus League games aren't being played, they're not getting any revenue from that. Now, I understand that it's not, it's not necessarily a major source of revenue, but by that point in time, if you don't have an agreement, it's a little more difficult to sell tickets to regular season games it's certainly, as I said, more difficult to sell tickets to the Grapefruit or, or Cactus League games the closer you get. And there's kind of a sweet spot here for owners and for players. And, and at, at a certain point, the players, I think, come to a realization that, look, we've been locked out since December, what is it, December 2nd. Let's say, theoretically, it's February 15th. If you're the players, you're saying, well, they've locked us out for two and a half months. Um, ultimately, we're all going to get paid, right? Ultimate, at some point, the players, at some point, Freddie Freeman, Carlos Correa, they're going to get their big contracts and everything's going to get done. But at that point, the players may say, look, I've kind of gone about preparing for this on my own for all this time right now. If I'm getting to the point where I can start screwing the owners a bit, maybe I'm going to be less inclined to, to come to an agreement. And And I think that's kind of the the fine line that Rob Manfred has to walk here, because let, let's be clear. Yes, this is a collective bargaining uh, process. Both it, it, it requires two sides to get done, but the owners initiated the lockout. The owners can end this anytime they want, mm-hmm. right? The owners, the, only the owners know what they think they can realistically achieve here. And I just don't think Kevin, we're at, the point yet where anybody is going to risk losing any money. You know, we heard the, the Boston Red Sox have put, uh, have announced that they're putting spring training tickets on sale on mm-hmm. Saturday. So I thought I texted my friend, Richard Griffin, the Jay's PR director say, Hey Rich, when are you guys, when are you guys going to put your spring training tickets in sale? They've been on sale. Hmm. See what I'm saying? It's, it, it, it's like this stuff has, we haven't yet reached a point where somebody starts taking a financial hit. I mean, so far, the only people who have taken any sort of hit are fans who are pissed off at this mm-hmm. and reporters who, yeah, we want this done. We want to get back to writing about trades and, and, and free agent signings and and contract extensions and uh, you know, Gabriel Marino and, and, and what positions Kevin we want to get back. We want to get back to writing to writing and talking about all that stuff. But it's important for people to realize that this process moves independently 
of, uh, of the desires of fans and media. And, and that's, that's where we are. It'll be fun. We'll yeah. be joined later in the show by Faye Vincent, the former commissioner. It'll be fun to, 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 to talk to Faye about this and, and see what he thinks about, about where we are. But, um, well, Kevin, you've been, I mean, you've, you've been at this point in, in your career a variety of times. You've been the prospect that uh, was looking forward to getting into major league camp. You've been the prospect that was looking forward to going to minor league camp at the start of his career. You've been the guy looking to win a job. How would you feel right now as we sit here on, on what, in the, 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 the middle of January, and you kind of think you need to get your apartment and everything set up, but you just, you just don't know? Yeah, it stinks. I, I, I might be trying to find a, a new profession. It would depend on what my age is, how my year looked last year, coming off a year. You, you, could, you have a good feel. I used to have a good feel on, on what organizations thought of me, the organization that I was lo- with last year, going into the next year, whether I had an opportunity to go back to that organization, and I knew how they feel and felt, and, and it was a good chance that they would have conversations with you back and forth. Obviously, they can't do that now, but – you know, if if I were up in age and, and towards the end, I, you might have to take a long look in the mirror and start thinking about a new profession. That's just that's the way it is. Again, whenever I listen to you talk and I listen to everybody else talk and they say it's OK to push this thing up you need right until the very end before people start losing money. Yeah, ask the 25th, 26th, 27th guy. They're not going right. to say that. You know, forget about the other guys that make all this money who. It's not going to lose money. They're going to make their money regardless. It's those guys, which is most of what Major League Baseball is made of, is those guys. And those guys, for me, have to have a little sense of urgency. I, I just, what do the owners have to say before the, the the players come back without a word that starts with disappointing? That That's the big thing here. I, I know this is the way it works, and I know we can't be naive here that this is the first talk. You, you know, you, you, one group's going to come back and, and give their what, what they're going to give, and, and the other group basically shrug their shoulders and say, it's not going to work. Come back with better stuff. That, for me, is when you start hearing words that doesn't, you know, start with disappointing. And that, for me, I, I just I just don't, again, I've, I've never really been a part of anything like this before, but I just don't understand how all of a sudden the light switch is going to go off and they're going to go oh yeah we'll take that and that and you can keep that that and that is that really how it works because that's how it sounds like it's going to work i mean i think it's you know there are pressure points here and and each side has its own has its own pressure point and uh but plenty of opportunity to talk to faye vincent the former commissioner of major league baseball about that meanwhile players are preparing as best they can and that includes Alec Manoa coming off a rookie year that, well, what can you say about Alec Manoa's rookie year? He went 9-2. and two, He had a 322 ERA. He led Major League rookies in whip opponents average. He was second in earned run and strikeout Oof. rate per nine innings. It's a pretty good year. Yeah. Pretty good year, you might say. It's Alec Manoa bad. is up now on Blair and Barker. Hey, Alec, thanks for doing this, man. How you keeping? Hey, what's going on? Doing good. Good to hear now from you we- guys. Yeah, good to hear from you, man. Now, look, we, we're we're doing this just you know a couple of hours after the owner submitted an offer to the players' association. I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about negotiations because I want I know the fans want to hear from you. But I, just in a general sense, Alec, what's your read on what the players are thinking right now? Well, to be honest with you, man, I really I really don't read into much of that stuff. Um, you know, I think. Uh, the league is in good hands with all the veterans that we have. 
um, that, that work closely with the union um, to obviously be able to protect us and um, to be able to, to send, the, send the game in a good direction, you know. So um, I really don't look into it too much. I honestly I heard you guys talking about uh, there was an offer today, and I honestly don't even know what the offer is um, <laughs> or anything that, that, that's being spoken about right now. So um, I'm just here to play ball, man. When they, when they call me and they tell me uh, they're letting the chains loose, uh, I'll be ready to go. Man on a mission, I love it. Alec, how, how much have you been around your teammates, and, and are you one of those guys in the off season that likes to be around his teammates? Um, right now, I'm, I've been at home uh, in Miami. Uh, me and my brother, we have a gym uh, down here together. So I've uh, been down there training uh, with everybody at the facility, things like that, and um, definitely like to keep it really really uh, close on some of the teammates text, text them every week, um, you know, or, or by the month, you know, things like that. Just really um, trying to try keep in contact with guys and um, just make sure um, that we're, we're, all, we're all doing the same thing, you know, and that, that's to try and bring a World Series back to Toronto. Now, did, uh, did, did any of the veterans in the team or any of the veterans you've been around or be, been able to talk to, have any of them said to you, hey, look, this is how, this is how you go about preparing in this situation? Yeah, it's, it's, as you say, it's, a, it's an off season and you're doing your thing. But have, have any guys kind of given you a little insight into, into how to get through this? Um, well, you know, the, the training facility I'm at, uh, we all kind of, uh, have the same mindset, you know, just try and do everything we can to be ready. Um, you know, I don't think, uh, anybody wants to be the guy that, you know, when the, when the, the lockout does end and things like that, that, you know, they're not ready, you know? So I think right now it's kind of just the advice that I've gotten has been, you know, try and prepare as much as you can. Like if spring training is going to go on on time and the season's going on time and, um, obviously, as we get closer to those things, you know, we'll get a better feel. But uh, right now, you know, it's kind of just been looking forward, like everything is, is going to start on time. As, as you, you look been... back on – oh, sorry, Jeff. As you, as you look back on 2021, uh, what, what do you think you'd like to continue to build on? Uh, just continue to build on my competitiveness, um, continue to build on, um, you know, trying to create some sort of leadership role or some – some sort of a, a responsibility role and um, just really want to just be there uh, for my teammates um, and want them all to know that I'm going to give them my all every time that I'm out there and um, just continue to build on that. You know, uh, last year I was able to be up there um, for, for 20 starts, you know, and my plan is obviously to be up there for the full season, you know, so um, to just be able to be there, you know, for them and to be able to be a consistent guy, consistent, positive energy in the clubhouse every day for 162 games. That's the, the biggest thing for me. Hey, Alec, what does your day look like right now? You know, if, if I were to, to say to you, walk me through a typical Alec Manoa day as he gets ready, as he gets ready for, for the rigors of a major league season. What would it look like right now? And does it ramp up anymore as we get closer to, to hopefully the start of spring training? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say, you know, right now throwing five days a week, um, you know, I, I, I go in the morning to physical therapy. That's where I do my, my throwing and my arm care, soft tissue, mobility work, like all that, all that good stuff. Um, then from there, uh, you know, I either bring uh, a snack with me or I'll go get a quick lunch. Uh, then I head over to our gym uh, called Mano Driven and uh, get my workout in there. And then um, usually try and get home uh, around, you know, 3, 4 o'clock. Um, and then cook a cook a nice good dinner, um, and then get some rest in and, and ready to go the next day. 
uh, mindset-wise, coming off a, a major league season compared to other seasons, college season, minor league season, which you didn't spend a ton of time in the minor leagues, how's it different for you? Mindset-wise, physical-wise, everything that goes into being a big leaguer. Yeah, well, I just, I just think, you know, um, to be able to see a little bit of success, um, you kind of also have to understand that there's going to be adversity, you know. So um, for me, it's working as hard as I can to continue to build off everything that I did last year, continue to realize the weaknesses that I had, some of the hit-by-pitch or some of the walks, um, you know, some of, some of those things, and continue to see where, where I've done good and how I can build on that and continue to use that momentum going forward and um, just, you know, use it going into the next season. Hey, have you been able at, at any point uh, during this offseason to get together either by Zoom call or whatever with Danny or Reese or, or, or any of the catchers just to kind of go over stuff or keep in touch with each other? I don't know, because you're in Miami. Has anybody been able to get everybody together and just have a throwing session even, you know, without without uh, on your own? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of the guys are either in Tampa. Um, you know, some of the guys are in Florida. Some of the guys are just at home doing their thing and um i text with you know danny and i text with reese a good amount and uh definitely kirky a bunch too you know so um every, everybody's on the same page and everybody's you know feeling really confident um going into next year you know one of the things that i think really stood out to a lot of us about your year alec in, in addition to obviously just the raw numbers but you know the fact that you were able to maintain and improve and re- and really finish the season on a you know, in a pretty good, a pretty good finishing kick. When you look back at 2021, is that one of the things you're proudest of? You know, you were able to, you held up pretty well, knock on wood, but you did, you held up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, um, that's definitely something I want my teammates to know, um, is that down the, down the stretch, um, when, when things are getting, you know, uh, it, it's not crunch time, um, that I'm going to be there and I'm going to be a, a guy that, they can lean on and trust on that mound, you know. So, being able to to win some ball games in September on a playoff chase um, is definitely some of the experience that I'm going to need going into next year for for us, you know, when we're going into a playoff spot or um, we're 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 trying to fight for that for that playoff position or we're in a playoff game, you know. So, um, being able to 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 stay consistent throughout the entire year, especially uh, be strong down that stretch, is is something I just. Uh, on my teammates to be able to lean on and trust me while I'm out there. You you had Robbie Ray as someone you could learn from. Now you you get to work with Kevin Gosman. Have you met him yet? If you have, uh, what are your first impressions? Yeah, he's he's a really cool guy. Uh, he seems very laid back and uh, loves to work hard, man, and loves to get after you know. So um, we've already had some conversations about uh, me me stocking that that split change that he throws in spring training and. Ooh. Um, uh, I'm, re- I'm really, really excited to be able to just be by him and, and learn from him exactly how I was able to do with Robbie and, um, and Rue and, and Barrios. See, I, I, find, I find that that really interesting. That you know, Clearly, again, you're coming off a good year, but they're really, I really do get the sense, Alec, you've got a thirst to learn as well as a thirst to compete, right? The fact that you're, you know, the, 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 the split-fingered pitch is something that, that – you know, this organization has started to, you know, it's started to bring some guys in that have it. And that's, I think that says a lot about you that, you know, you're not just satisfied in building, building on the results from last year. You want to get, you want to get better as well. Yeah, completely. I, I think there's a lot of areas to be able to, to improve on. And um, I think the only time you can really say, <laughs> uh, 
not not even you know you're constantly learning everything in this game every day and uh, I'm sure there's guys that retire that are still learning things when they're watching games on TV and things like that. So um, just being able to continue to learn and build off that every year and, and to continue to understand that, you know, sometimes adversity is going to hit while you are learning and you are trying new things and, and stuff like that. And you just have to continue to stay consistent and trust the process. Alec, why, why a split change? Well, you know, circle change for me, I, I was a hitter, not a pitcher. And it just seems to me like when you say I'm learning or want to learn a split change, that sounds like that can't be the easiest thing. Maybe it's a grip it and rip it pitch. Is that sort of the thought process in that? Is it, a, is it a, what you've noticed so far? Is it a tough pitch to learn? How's that going? Well, I just I, I know that the changeup um, is definitely one of the pitches that I've been developing the past few years, and I, and I continue – to think that it, it has rooms to get better, you know, and obviously Goss throws one of the best split changes or change-ups, you know, uh, off-speeds in, in the league, you know, so um, to be able to just learn from him, even if I don't change the grip, but maybe, you know, his release point or, or, or how he lets it go or what he's thinking when he's throwing it or anything like that, you know, um, I think I'll be able to kind of put it together with what I've developed into my change-up and try and make it a masterpiece. Uh, Jose Barrios is also obviously going to be a factor around the clubhouse this year and, 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 and with the pitching staff. What did you learn about him as the season went on, Alec? Uh, I learned that his passion is second to none, man. Um, that dude loves baseball. Uh, he loves to work every day. Um, and, and everything that he does, he, he puts 150% into it. And that's why he's been one of the most durable guys in the league for the past five years, you know. Um, so being able to learn from him, being able to learn from his work ethic, his routine, um, the way, uh, the energy that he brings in the clubhouse and just the passion that he plays with um, is, is definitely something I'm super excited to learn, continue to learn from and, and continue to, to adapt to. Hey, Alec, listen, we really appreciate you uh, giving us some of your time today. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, enjoy the, enjoy the offseason. Stay healthy. And, uh, boy, we'll look forward to seeing you down in Dunedin, my friend. Thanks so much for this. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you, guys. You guys have a good night. Thank you. Too. you. That's Alec Manoa. And uh, that's, that's interesting. It Already is. Kevin Gossman having, having, having an impact. And we talked a little bit about that when the signing, when the signing happened. And Ross Atkins also mentioned that uh, as well, the idea that, you know, you're getting – you look at the veterans who are on this team right now, Ryu, uh, you know, Barrios, uh, you've got Kevin Gossman. You know, you've also got even Ross Stripling, a guy who had to make a pretty significant mechanical change last year in the middle of the season. Like, mm-hmm. Kevin, if you're Alec Manoa, man, you're just – you're a sponge. You're, you're taking yeah. all of this in. Remember, too, this is the second time through the American League East. The American League East got a little book on him. They they know he's got the two different sliders. They know he can flip a breaking ball occasionally. They know he doesn't have that change of speed pitch. That could be that little grip it and rip it kind of thing with the, with the split finger change up that he likes to throw. You know, for, for me, it's not an aim it guy. Sort of the circle change that he, that he throws a little bit that sometimes he just doesn't look like he has confidence in. He's spinning it out. He doesn't have the link with his glove. You know, sometimes he's got that alligator arm where he's, he's pulling his glove side towards the first baseman where he could really get it out there, get extension. And if he could just change the grip, what he's talking about, where you're not really changing nothing from hmm. your fastball, your slider grip, you may just widen your frank fingers out a little bit more to have it to that strike-the-ball kind of pitch. And that, to me, is just one of those things where the American League East has seen him. 
you, you got to make some adjustments. You got to give him a different look, give him something else to think about. And that for me is if he can just make that look like a strike. You know, he's got the, the invisible when, when it comes to that fastball where he can throw it and fastball counts and just seems like hitters just can't catch up to it. So he's got that. He got that in his back pocket. And he always throw that. Now, if you can expand a little bit and you can actually have that third or fourth pitch, which is what he's trying to do, it's now all of a sudden the Blue Jays are four deep. If if you can get Ryu back to to yeah. half decent Ryu, he didn't have to be great. Like he just have to be great. Now you got three workhorses, and you can add Ryu to the mix, which is that little you know give and take where he's the spot guy, the change of speed guy. He's left handed, sprinkling in against the other right handers. That's you know now, now all of a sudden if you're contending against that, you, you got you got a lot to worry about. So the future's bright. It's it's hard. It's I'm I'm telling you right now for me at least, it's hard not to get on the bandwagon when it comes to Alec Manoa. Yeah, you were, and I'm going to give you credit. You were on the you you were on the band you were on the bandwagon early. I, again, this is a guy who, that's a guy. This guy looked pitched like a horse, man. He was he was a guy who was available down the stretch in games that counted. And, and yeah. you know, every now and look, you'll talk to players and you'll you'll hear guys say, you know, I want my team to know they can count on me. But the thing you really realize with Alec Manoa is. There's Alec Manoa, I think, realizes how important it is that he is available and that he is accountable to his teammates. And I, I've it gets back to that old thing. You can be the greatest player in the world. You can be the greatest pitcher in the world. But, Kevin, if I can't use you today or if I yeah. have to skip you a start, it doesn't matter. And if if Alec Manoa, in addition to all this other stuff he's learning, can kind of – Take advantage of the opportunity to learn how to. I'm not going to say stay in shape because that, but to, to to keep your arm healthy, to 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 know when you need an extra day, to know mm-hmm. that maybe you have to approach the pitching coach Pete Walker about something, to know that maybe you got to dial it back a bit. All of this stuff goes into the making of 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 a of a major league pitcher. Yeah, and I really get the sense that he's comfortable enough with his own abilities that he's comfortable enough in being honest with people. He, like you've got to be on it. You've got to be honest with your coaches. He, if you're a pitcher. Absolutely. He made some huge changes in season with the stare into the hitter. Remember mm-hmm. he didn't do that as much because that's just, that's just not what you do at the big league level, especially you're being a rookie. Don't draw that much attention to yourself. You, you want to be known for the guy that I got good stuff. I know, and I'm going to dominate you. There's nothing you can do about it. I don't have to stare at you all the time. Like he did. Remember when he threw the glove down and, and sort of caused a little fight and come out here and get you some, he learned from that where he's right. It's, it's, he's mm-hmm. more valuable if he's pitching every every five days than if he's missing starts because he does things that just, you know, aren't smart. And he's making those adjustments in season. And, you know, you give you, you give credit to everybody that's around him. You give credit to his teammates that have been there and done it before. You give credit to his pitching coach, to his manager, to the bench coach. And you give a lot of credit or most of the credit to himself. You know, it's ultimately up to the player to buy into all of these things and say, I'm really good. I've noticed something. And you listen to him talk. He had a good year. He knows now that he can pitch at this level and dominate people. And to be able to build off of that and not only build off of it, add a different pitch to the mix, good luck, American League East. Well, uh, Faye Vincent is former 
major league commissioner. He was actually commissioner from 1989 to 1992 when he was uh, ousted in an ownership coup. An ownership coup, I should say. I very, I remember the winter meetings that year when, when all of this stuff uh, was going down. He has since gone on to the world of academia. In some ways, he's also. Uh, penned a variety of commentaries on the game of baseball for a variety of publications. And one of the things I, I really like about Faye Vincent and the way Vince, Faye Vincent has dealt with himself as commissioner since uh, he was replaced by Bud Selig is that a lot of folks are comfortable talking in general terms about the game of baseball. He's not afraid to get granular you know, Faye Vincent isn't afraid to talk about umpiring. He's not afraid to talk about the nuts and bolts of the game. In addition to the the broader the broader issues of Major League Baseball, Faye Vincent, former Major League Baseball commissioner, will join us next. This is Blair and Barker, the podcast on Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. All right. Well, we uh, are not able to be joined by Faye Vincent. At this time today, and uh, we'll endeavor to get him on uh, at a at a future date and get his thoughts on on uh, where. Well, who knows, Kevin? By the time we get him on, it is entirely possible. It is entirely possible that uh, that uh, we may have a little further uh, further details on um, on 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 where this the CBA. CBA talk is going. I want to get him on because Faye Vincent was commissioner from 1989 to 1992, as I mentioned. Uh, he was ousted uh, in an ownership coup and replaced by Bud Selig. And uh, in a lot of people's mind, in my mind in particular, Faye Vincent was actually the last true commissioner of baseball because he was a former executive vice president of Coca-Cola. Uh, he was brought in as deputy commissioner by A. Bartlett Giamatti uh, in 1989 and replaced Giamatti after his death. And, uh, you know, he, he um, well, he was, of course, Bud Selig, who took over as interim commissioner, was in fact owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. He was made permanent commissioner, of course, from Bud Selig. The mantle was passed on to Rob Manfred, who uh, was Major League Baseball's chief labor negotiator. So there was a real in-house thing there. Faye Vincent was kind of, look, I, I, I don't think anybody... Uh, had any preconceived notion that the commissioner's office, uh, you know, was this truly impartial, uh, it was this truly impartial office that, uh, that, that sort of sat, sat at the, the top of the mountain and rendered judgment on all issues related to the game. I mean, the commissioner worked uh, at the behest of ownership. But I've always felt, Kevin, that as a guy who was kind of an outsider to baseball, in as as I said, in many ways, he was the last commissioner. We now know the commissioner is basically the CEO uh, of Major League Baseball. So uh, we'll endeavor to get uh, to get him on at, at a future date. And because um, I've always wanted to ask Faye Vincent if he was commissioner, does he think there would have been the players' strike in 1994, uh, which of course uh, uh, you know was the strike that started the Montreal Expos down the slippery slope to leaving the city. So we will uh, we will endeavor to get Faye Vincent on at a future time. Hey, I wanted to bounce this off you, Kevin, because we spent a lot of time talking about rules changes. We spent a lot of time talking about rules changes, I should say, in um, you know, 
during during the regular season. And if you remember, if you remember the Atlantic League, the Independent League was experimenting with a variety of rules changes. And this was being done in conjunction with Major League Baseball. Essentially, Major League Baseball was treating the Atlantic League like it was some sort of petri dish, right? And 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 and, and they're going to try all these weird things. Remember to lower or, or raising the pitcher's mound, moving it closer, and they were going to use the automated strike zone and and enlarge the bases and uh, put shift regulations in. And lo and behold, today the Atlantic League announces. And and this is gonna this is gonna blow your mind if you haven't heard this. The Atlantic League has announced that one, it's going to go back to the mound, having the mound the way it was, which makes sense because, frankly, it's been it's been good enough, you know, it's been good enough uh, for for a long time. The the distance back and the height of the mound. They are not going to use. They are not going to use the automated ball and strike system, which I find interesting because I think a lot of us think, Kevin, that at some point that is going to come into play. Whether it's you're never going to have robot umpires, but there is a chance I think that you will see some sort of technology used, and there will be some sort of greater consistency to the strike zone, and the home plate umpire will get a little buzzer, and the buzzer will tell him it's a ball, ball or strike. I, I think we all think that that at some point is going to come. That's being dropped by the Atlantic League, which I found odd. Here's where it gets really odd. Here's where it gets really odd. They are talking, Kevin, about having runners on first and second to start the extra inning. So not not the ghost runner on on as we've seen now. Runners on first and second to start the extra inning. And then that doesn't work. They're talking about having the bases loaded to start the next inning. Now, I don't even want to figure out. I don't, I don't even want to imagine what it would be like to try to keep score of that game. I, 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 I just don't. I mean, I could hear you know, statisticians and official scores heads explode all over the place here with that. Um, but I, the reason I wanted to bring it up is, look, it appears now as if there's going to be so much stuff going on with the CBA. I just don't think we're going to necessarily see as much radical change in the way the game is played this year as we might otherwise have seen. So a couple of things stand out to me about this. First of all, the idea that, as far as I can tell, the anti-shift rules are going to be in place, I think, Kevin, we are going to see limitations placed on the shift in Major League Baseball sooner than later, don't you? Like, I, I think that's coming. Yeah, I think so. Well, does it make the game with more action in it? That, that's the whole question is, it's, is there more balls put in play? Is there, is there a better effort by hitters to go, okay, if there's not seven people standing on one side of the field, can I inside out a baseball and hit it where they ain't? Probably not. So you think if there's two guys on one side of the bag, there's two guys on the other side of the bag, now I can stay within myself because there's only a handful of great hitters. Let's be honest. Not everybody can take 98 inside it out where they ain't. They just can't. Let's face it. Or they've done it already. Or that they there'd be more people trying to do it, which you know you could argue whether it, if they're trying to do it or they just can't do it. But yeah, probably. Does that make the game better? I don't know. You know, I, I used to be a couple of years ago, just because of the, the, the bad look from the lefty grounding out to the right fielder, it just was a bad look. Does that make the game better, though, if they if they say you can't do that anymore? If they all the infielders have to have their feet on the dirt, is, is that a... 
that, does that make the game better? Does that give the game a better look? Does that give the game a better flow? Does that add more action to the game? Can you figure all of this out by having minor leaguers do that? Mm. I, that's the whole question here because the, the elite of the elite are at the big league level. And until you actually put it in the big leagues to see how it looks – how can we actually take it serious? That's why every time they say they're doing this in the Atlantic League, how many people go to the big leagues that play in the Atlantic League? Like, it's yeah. just like, it's really, right? So it's like you're you're having guys test things that ultimately, you know, are, it's not going to look the same as big leaguers doing it. Right. So that, right. that's the whole point here. That's the whole conversation, and, and that's the dilemma baseball's in, is does it really matter if you're testing these things to lower levels? Because... Just, I just don't see what the outcome could be, and is it probably going to change? Probably, that's probably a throw-in. The owners will have to do it to, to see, satisfy the players. That kind of no, thing. No, you know but, what? I don't. I don't know. I am. I admit, Kevin. I'm. I'm really unclear as to. You know, the, the commissioner does have certain powers, and the and, and the commissioner might be able to put a lot of these things in place on his own. Now, but preferably, you prefer it to be collectively bargained. But we've seen this commissioner make changes to the game, kind of on his own. Uh, I, I I do find, and I don't want to read too much. I don't want to read too much into it. I I do find it kind of puzzling that the automated strike zone, um, th- that it's been dropped. It's something that I thought you would see the Atlantic League keep, and something that I thought. I mean, that's a that's a technical thing, and and it's it's a thing that requires. It requires a lot of work to get the bugs out. And I honestly thought that you were going to see that used in the Atlantic League and that ultimately we were going to see it come over to the major league. So I don't know. I don't know what this says. Were, 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 were players unhappy with it? Uh, was, uh, you know, I, I know for a fact that Major League Baseball, it, when, it, when it struck this agreement with the Atlantic League, you know, it wasn't just simply here. You guys go and do this and tell us what you think of it. I mean, they they paid pretty close attention. They've got a whole department in Major League Baseball looking at this. So I find that a little puzzling. It'd be great to hear somebody like Morgan Sword from Major League Baseball maybe talk a little bit about uh, mm-hmm. uh, about about what you know, what what impact it had. Um, the mound, you know, the sixty-one foot six-inch distance to the mound, that's dead. It's gone back to where it where it was when. Abner Doubleday or whoever invented the game, uh, I, I didn't really. I, I mean, I, I you know, that that to me was a bridge too far. I did. I have to admit, I kind of liked. I kind of liked starting runner on on starting an extra yeah, inning the, with a yeah, runner the, in second. The bases loaded in the twelfth inning or thirteenth inning. How would that look at a game seven of the World Series? That's you have to ask yourself. That's and, and the ultimate the end. Question. Yeah, the ultimate end of all of this is the biggest game of the year to decide the outcome of the season for one team or the other. You want to put bases loaded in the thirteenth inning. That, that's that's what you want to do. So there, there's some some of these things that you look at and you're like, okay, yeah, the, the, the runner on second base, at least you still have to get a guy over a lot of the times because right. you're facing elite arms out of bullpens. So you Can still I say have this, to, though? You still have to do the little things. If you have bases loaded and nobody out, how much easier does that make it on a bad hitter to but, have success at the plate? But let me say this. In the NHL right now, in regular season, you have overtime, then you have a shootout. You get to the playoffs, 
and you've got no shootouts. It's just overtime. You play until there's a winner. Why couldn't you, and, and just bear with me on this, why couldn't you have different rules for the playoffs or the World Series than you do in the regular season? In, in other words, I like the idea. I Listen, starting the having a runner in second base to me opened up a whole new uh, strategic aspect of the game. It 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 forced managers to make decisions under pressure, which I absolutely love. I I was more interested in that Kevin than the speed of the game. To me it it, I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether the game's over the 10th, 11th or 12th inning. I I, I really don't care. If 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 there's going to be good action, I'm fine with it. But maybe we ought to look at this and say we spent all these years where we had a DH in the American League, we didn't have a DH in the National League, and then when we played interleague games in National League parks, we didn't use a DH. You know, we've already kind of make these changes as we go along. So why not? Because we already have an, uh, an issue with games running late. Yeah, well, why not have this in place for the regular season and then during the postseason, during the postseason, say, no, we're going back to playing it? The to, only, because essentially it's just a different overtime. That's all the it only, is. The only reason you're doing that in the regular season is to hurry up and get the game over with. That, that's the only reason you're doing And what if a team benefits from that by having a lot more 12th and 13th inning games than another team that didn't make the playoffs? And that's a, a, an unfair advantage. It's, it's just... I, I I think you're going a little too far when it comes to the later you go in games, the more people you're going to put on base with nobody out. Uh, really? Like, yeah. then all of a sudden you're 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 Wacky. not you're not making teams earn it, and that's the whole point here. Is it's not. I don't care if a if a team tomorrow doesn't have any pitching. I don't care. It doesn't bother me any whatsoever. So, it, but it would make my job a lot easier, and it probably kept me in the big leagues a lot longer if I could have been the guy hitting in the thirteenth inning. I was going to say off with the bases loaded. <laughs> Here comes Parker. Here comes Parker. Yeah. One swing, four RBI. Yeah. One pitch, one swing, four RBI. No, Anyhow, no, it's, no. That's a it's, that's a lazy sack fly to left center field. That's all that is. It's it's like it's like anything else. I mean, there there is there is an end game here, and I do like the fact I do like the fact that they're experimenting that they're experimenting with some of these things. I, I, I am, I am puzzled that the automated strike zone was dropped. That, yeah. that is one thing because I, I, I've just operated under the assumption, Kevin, I think we've talked about this and it still may happen. I think at some point there is going to be a, a better use of technology when it comes to the strike zone. I think I just, it's, it's inevitable. I just and, want you, uh, I just want major league baseball to never water down the hardest league to stay in, in my mind, in sports. Like, like, it's easy to get to the big leagues. You know this, Jeff. You've been covering baseball forever. It's easy to get there. It's hard to stay. And that's the whole point is if you water it down and, and make the bases bigger and, and put the mound further away and load the bases in the 12th and 13th inning, I know that sounds like a, a, a small little thing, but it makes it easier for lesser players to stay in the big leagues longer, and I don't want that. I want the best of the best. That's what I tune in. Yeah, well, maybe we should get Rick White on, the Atlantic League president, on to find out. Uh, maybe. Find out. His, his statement is, quote, we are honored to pioneer the future of the game with Major League Baseball. <laughs> We're proud that many tests today will find their way to the big leagues in the future. We will continue to closely collaborate, yeah. collaborate I'm sorry, on tests with MLB. I, I like it. I mean, I, I don't have any problem. I guess. I feel sorry for the— thing baseball feel... can do. It's got, all, it's got this, this independent league. 
and people are going out there not just because of the baseball. They're going to the independent leagues because of the experience, because of the ballparks, because you may get to see some guy you saw 15 years ago in the major leagues. And they'll put up with it. I yeah, think put it's, it, a, I think flip it's a great it, idea. Flip it over on the player side, and you're using them as test dummies, and they're trying to make it to the big leagues and make tons of money when yeah. the minimum salary is going to probably most be of, 700 grand. Most of those guys know it. It's independent ball. They know they're not going to the major leagues. Well, you're still putting a uniform on. That's what they used to tell me every time I went to winter ball is. You know, when I when I was pushing however old I was in my mid-30s and I was still trying to get the foot down and get it singing, they were saying, hey, at mm. least you still got a uniform on. <laughs> you got a chance. <laughs> I'll play as long as they put a uniform on me. Uh, yeah. I'm willing to pay. How about hey, that? Hey, you, know you know what time it is? What time is it? You know what time it is. Barker's Backleg Bits. De lado, Kevin Baker. El envío saca batazo de fly profundo al bosque derecho, cuadrangular bestial para Kevin Baker. We said Barker's bits, not Baker. My goodness, Barker just airmailed that thing. It's time for Barker's back leg bits. I blame uh, I blame John Gibbons for that Jamie Campbell call. Okay, never. It never gets old. It never gets old. Welcome to Barker's Back Lake Bits. This is a segment of the show where you get to question Kevin. You get to ask Kevin questions about anything. You can ask him about life. You can ask him about hunting. You can ask him about growing up in West Virginia. Ask him about anything. I didn't and, grow up uh, in West Virginia. Sorry, Virginia. There you go. Sorry Big difference. That. Ah, West Virginia. That's hey, a big difference. Just different side of the mountain. Oh, Gibby. Different side of the mountain. We That's love him. Uh, every Tuesday, since the podcast drops on Thursday, I will send out a tweet soliciting questions from you, our listeners. You can either DM me, or you can just attach the question to the bottom of the tweet. We'll select questions for Kevin, and who knows, as this goes on, maybe we'll have some sort of prize or some, something like that. And a reminder, as always, you can get the Blair and Barker podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And also a reminder, we drop our pod every Thursday night. Once the CBA is negotiated, we'll be back on the air on Sportsnet 590. The fans sometime between between 10 and 12. Again, that's that'll be uh, 10 and 12, uh, 10 a.m. To, to noon. That'll be decided once the, the CBA is done. And then once the baseball season starts, and we will have a baseball season, Barker and myself will be on from 10 to noon. We'll be on from 5 to 7 in the summer. And we will be on Blue Jays Talk with Blair and Barker immediately following the game. So we got... Questions for Kevin Barker. I picked three of the best. Kevin, you all set to go? Let's do it. Ashley in Welland wants to know, is there a scenario where Kevin Biggio is the starting second baseman this year, especially if the lockout drags out to the point where there's not enough time to get everything done? Yeah, if expanded, play, uh, if expanded playoffs go to 14 teams, if I'm a GM, it makes it a lot easier for me to use lesser players in big-time roles, which would be second base, third base. Then all of a sudden, you could argue that the Blue Jays could make the playoffs with what they got right now, and you don't have to do any more with Kevin Vigio and Santiago Espinal playing second and third base. Explain that to me. Say it goes to 14 teams. you got more options to go to, to the playoffs. Your okay. team right now with Kevin Biggio playing second. Santiago there. Espinal is probably the best defender on your team, hitting seventh and eighth in the lineup. I know right now with the pitching staff that I have in the middle of the order that I have, I could be one of the seven teams in the American League going right. to the dance. 
All right. Uh, Ken Henry wants to know, what do you think is the best use for Randall Gritchick? And I presume he's not talking about trade bait. Yeah, three days a week for me versus lefties. Uh, possible four days a week if you want to give. That's the George Springer day a day off. So I would say somewhere around that 300 at bat range just against lefties. How's that? That's I'm 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 with you in that. I I still think trade is uh, I still think the, the trade is the most likely scenario for him. You but take yeah, mine. Yeah, I, I'll take yours if you take mine. That's the kind of thing with that trade you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah. again, the, the longer this, you know, this longer the longer this lockout goes on, you know, there's a lot of stuff we haven't even talked about. The fact that the arbitration, the deadline for players and teams to file arbitration figures, is is just around the corner. I mean, let me ask you about that trade you're talking about. On. Yes, quickly. If, if, George, if George Springer gets hurt, who plays center? Uh, good question. I need somebody else in. Hey, that's it for the first pod of 2022. And a reminder that we'll be dropping these puppies, or I guess more uh, more particularly these pods weekly. And as I mentioned, we'll be back on the air on the Fan 590 closer to spring training. So for all of us here, Mark, Danielle, Barker, et moi, thanks for joining us. Till next time, this has been the Blair and Barker Podcast.